Chapter Twenty One of The Daughter of a Magnate by Frank Spearman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One Pilot. There are mountains a man can do business with, muttered Bucks in the private car, his mustache drooping broadly above his reflecting words. Mountains that will give and take once in a while play fair occasionally but pilot has fought us every inch of the way since the day we first struck a pick into it it is savage and unrelenting i'd rather negotiate with sitting bull for a right-of-way through his private bathroom than to ask an easement from pilot for a tamarack tie i don't know why it was ever called pilot if i named it it should be sitting bull what the Sioux were to the white men, what the spider water is to the bridgemen, that and more Pilot has been to the mountain men. There was no compromise with Pilot, even after we got in on it. Snowslides, washouts, boulders, forest fires, and yet the richest quartz mines in the world lie behind it. This little branch, Mr. Brock, 48 miles, pays the operating expenses of the whole mountain division and has done so almost since the day it was opened. But I'd rather lose the revenue ten times every year than to lose Morris' blood. The second vice-president was talking to Mr. Brock. Their car was just rounding the curve into the gap in front of Mount Pilot. What do you think of blood's chances? asked Mr. Brock. I don't know. A mountain man has nine lives. What does Glover think? He doesn't say. Who built this line? Two pretty good men ran the first thirty miles, but neither of them could give me a practicable line south of the gap. This last eighteen miles up and down and around Pilot was Glover's first work in the mountains. It's engineering. Every trick ever played in the Rockies and one or two of Brody's old combinations in the Andes, they tell me, are crowded into these eighteen miles. There, there's old Sitting Bull in all his clouds and his glory. Glover had left the car at Sleepy Cat, going ahead with the relief train. Picked men from every district on the division had been assembling all the afternoon to take up the search for the missing superintendent. Section men from the Sweetgrass Waste and bridgemen from the foothills roadmasters from the Hart Mountains, home of the storm and the snow, and Rat Canyon trackers that could spot a break in the dark under twelve inches of ballast. Morgan the Wrecker and his men, and the mountain linemen with their foreman old Bill dancing, fiend drunk and giant sober, were scattered on Mount Pilot, while a rotary ahead of a battery of big engines was shoved again and again up the snow-covered hill. Anxious to get the track open in the belief that blood could best be got at from beyond the S bridge, Glover, standing with the branch roadmaster Smith Young, on the ledge above the engines, directed the fight for the hill. He had promised Gertrude he would keep out of the cab, and far across the curve below he could see the Brock car, where Bucks was directing the search on the eastern side of the gulch. Callahan and linemen were spreading both ways through the timber on the plateau opposite, 
but the snow made the work extremely difficult, and the short day allowed hardly more than a start. On the hill, Gulliver's men advanced barely a hundred feet in three hours. Darkness spread over the range with no sign of the missing man, and with the forebodings that none could shake off of what the night's exposure, even if he were uninjured, might mean. Supper was served to the men in the relief trains, and outside fires were forbidden by Glover, who asked that every foot of the track as far as the gap be patrolled all night. It was nearly ten o'clock when Glover, supperless, reached the car with his dispositions made for the night. While he talked with the men, Clem, the star cook of the Brock family, under special orders grilled a big porterhouse steak and presently asked him back to the dining table, where behind the shaded candles Gertrude waited. They sat down opposite each other, but not until Glover saw there were two plates instead of one, and learned that Gertrude had eaten no dinner because she was waiting for him, did he mutter something about all that an American girl is capable of in the way of making a man grateful and happy. There was nothing to hurry them back to the other end of the car, and they did not rejoin Mr. Brock and Bucks, who were smoking forward until eleven o'clock. Callahan came in afterward, and sitting together, Mr. Brock and Gertrude listened while the three railroad men planned the campaign for the next day. Parting late, Glover said good night and left with Callahan to inspect the rotary. The fearful punishment of the day's work on the knives had shown itself, and since dark, relays of mechanics from the Sleepy Cat shops had been busy with the cutting gear and the companion plough had already been ordered in from the 8th district. Glover returned to the car at one o'clock. The lights were low, and Clem, a night owl, fixed him in a chair near the door. For an hour everything was very still. Then Gertrude, sleeping lightly, heard voices. Glover walked back past the compartments. She heard him asking Clem for brandy. Bill Dancing, the lineman, had come with news. The Negro brought forth a decanter, and Glover poured a goblet full for the old man, who shook from the chill of the night air. The boys claim its imagination, Dancing, steadied by the alcohol, continued, but it's a fire way over below the second bridge. I've watched it for an hour. Now you come. They went away and were gone a long time. Glover returned alone. Clem had disappeared. A girlish figure glided out of the gloom to meet him. I couldn't sleep, she whispered. I heard you leave and dressed to wait. She looked in the dim light as slight as a child, and with his hand at her waist he sunk on his knee to look up into her face. How can I deserve it all? She blinded his upturned eyes in her hands, and not until she found her fingers were wet did she understand all he had tried to put into his words. Have you any news? she murmured as he rose. I believe they found him. She clasped her hands. Heaven be praised. Oh, is it sure? 
I mean dancing, the old lineman has seen his fire. At least we're certain of it. We've been watching it two hours. It's a speck of blaze way across toward the mines. It never grows nor lessens. Just a careful little campfire where fuel is scarce, as it is now with all the snow. We've lighted a big beacon on the hill for an answer, and at daybreak we shall go after him. The planning is all done, and I'm free now till we are ready to start. She tried to make him lie down for a nap on the couch. He tried to persuade her to retire until morning, and in sweet contention they sat talking low of their love and their happiness, and of the hills a reckless girl romped over in old Allegheny, and of the shingle gunboats a sleepy-eyed boy launched in dauntless fleets upon the yellow eddies of the Mississippi, and of the chance that should one day bring boy and girl together, lovers, on the crest of the far Rockies. Lights were moving up and down the hill when they rose from Clem's astonishing breakfast. "'You will be careful,' she said. He had taken her in his arms at the door, and promising he kissed her and whispered good-bye. End of chapter 21